church. If you have your Bibles, we are continuing our verse-by-verse study through the book of Colossians. We are in Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 19 to 23. If you need a Bible, John's up. He'll grab some. Just raise your hand and he'll bring one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Anybody need a Bible, just raise your hand up. Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 to 23 this morning. Let's all give John a hand. Good job, John. That's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 19, we read, For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself, by Him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, Yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. The title of my message this morning is Back to the Future. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity, this privilege that we have to get together, Lord, and to be able to open your word and know, Holy Spirit, that you are here to teach us and instruct us to what your word says and how we can apply it to our lives. Father, we pray that we would have open ears to receive all that you have for us. Lord, we pray if there's anyone that has joined us this service or is listening to this service via podcast that doesn't know you, they don't have a relationship with you, God, they're not born again. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to their hearts this morning. Thank you for our time together. Uh, We give you all the glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, a little hokey, but, but I like the movie. But see, as what happened uh, in the movie in the past has shaped our future, 
even more so what Jesus did for us in the past uh, has given us a fabulous present and a glorious future. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. If you're taking notes, we're going to see three things. We're going to see our past, we're going to see our present, and we're going to see our future. Let's look at our past, number one, first. Now, I love the book of Colossians because it's all about Jesus. He's the exalted Christ. He's the sovereign Christ. He's the supreme Christ. He's the one who is the Lord of all. And Jesus should have preeminence in our lives as those of us that call ourselves Christian. Paul tells us, look in verse 19, that it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell. All the fullness of God is in Jesus Christ. So that the closer I get to Jesus, the fuller I will be. I will have a fuller life. I will have a, a joyous life. But in the same way, the further away that I pull from Jesus, the emptier my life will be. See, all creation, Paul has been saying, revolves around Jesus. Jesus holds all things together and we find our fulfillment in Christ. And now as we look at verses 19 through 23, we see that the Apostle Paul begins to talk about what Jesus Christ accomplished by way of the cross. It's called reconciliation. Perhaps you're familiar with one of the most notorious family feuds in history. It began in 1863 between the Hatfields and the McCoys and ran off and on for some 30 years. Legend has it that bitter feelings began in 1878 when Randolph McCoy accused Floyd Hatfield of stealing one of his hogs. Well, the violence spread so big that the feud was no longer just between the Hatfields and the McCoys, but between the states of Kentucky and West Virginia. And in May of 1889, the Supreme Court ruled against West Virginia and the Hatfields stood trial in Kentucky. The feud, which lasted for over a decade and claimed the lives of 12 men and one woman, was finally over. 111 years later, in June of 2000, Bo McCoy, one of the descendants of these two families, organized a reunion for the world to see that reconciliation had happened. They were indeed friends again. An article I read said they wanted the world to know we were not ruthless, illiterate hillbillies murdering each other over a pig. <laughs> really? So <laughs> what was it over? It wasn't for that. In any case, reconciliation happened. And that's a good thing. The word reconcile means to bring together again. Reconciliation is changing for the better relationship between two or more persons. Theologically, it refers to a change of relationship between God and man. Truly, the greatest need in our world today is for reconciliation, and Jesus Christ has provided it by His death upon the cross. See, we have to go back some 2,000 years to the past when Jesus came to this earth and really changed all of our futures. Verse 20 tells us, It pleased the Father that Jesus would reconcile all things to Himself by Him, whether things on earth are things in heaven having made peace through the blood of His cross. Why did we not have peace? Why do we need reconciliation? Well, we got to go back in time even further than that. Paul writes in verse 21, And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by the wicked works. See, Paul says, prior to Christ, our lives were out of balance. And they became that way, way back in the Garden of Eden. Way back in the beginning. The first account of sin coming into the world, when Adam and Eve chose to eat of the forbidden fruit, he then became an enemy of God. But, verse 20, having made peace with the blood of his cross. 
Means that by Jesus paying the penalty of the cross for your sin and my sin, peace has been made between God and the sinner. See, God doesn't look uh, or approach man today and say, listen, buddy, I'm against you. You have been rebelling against me. You are a sinner and and I'm forced to punish you. So, man, hold on to your bootstraps because here it comes. He doesn't do that. God says something entirely different to the lost sinner today. He says to you and me, I've already taken the punishment. I've already paid the penalty for all of your sin. And I want you to know that you can come to me. Peace has already been made through my son Jesus Christ if you turn to him and you trust in him. It's been said that you can tell the depth of a well by how much rope has to be lowered. When you look at how much rope was lowered from heaven, so to speak, and that God sent his own son to die on the cross for our sins, you realize how deep that well really was. Yet, it amazes me at how people can be so casual when it comes to the claims of Christ and when it comes to God's offer for forgiveness and what Christ has done for them. And, and, and they, they act as though they have all the resources and all the time in the world to make their, their decision. They, you know, like they have a time machine. They act as though they're going to live forever. They just kind of cruise through life and kind of checking out all the various religions and ideas out there, possibly drawing from a little bit here and a little bit there to form what they believe. I think a lot of people, you know, they pictured themselves like in a fine restaurant. you got a table and a fine linen tablecloth. And there's a silverware all laid out and the soft music playing in the background. And they're slowly going over the menu that offers the various religious systems in the world. Kind of sorting through it. Okay, let's see. So many choices. So they decide to order a la carte. I think I'll have a, just a small order of Christianity. Hold the guilt. I, I'm not into guilt. You know, I'm, a, I'm in a guilt-free diet. Let's see what else. I'll have a side of Hinduism, maybe a little bit of a side of Buddhism, and could you maybe spice it up with some New Age mysticism? And they kind of make up the, the, the rules as they go along and pick and choose what appeals to them as they stroll up casually to the celestial salad bar of life. Let me give you the real picture. You are not at some fine dining table choosing what you want because all roads lead to God. Here's the real picture. You are out in the middle of a hot desert. You are dehydrated. You are starving to death. You have no resources to purchase food or water. And suddenly, a God, a God, not a God, God appears to you. He sets a beautiful table in the cool of the shade with the finest, freshest gourmet offerings available. And he bids you to come and dine. The price for the sumptuous feast has already been paid. All you have to do is take a seat and feast away. Now listen, there's no other options. It's A or B. It's simple. Eat and live or do not eat and die. That's the picture. God has offered the only way for our sin to be forgiven by sending His Son to die for us. That's it. That's what God did. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's not that we can pick and choose what appeals to us, but God has laid out the only clear path for us to walk on so that we might know Him. And this is what Paul is emphasizing to the Colossians. He's saying there's only one way to come into a relationship with God, and it's through what is called reconciliation. It's recognizing we have been separated from God by our sin. It's repenting and believing in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, once you do that, there are a number of things that happen, great things that happen. Five words to describe what happens to us at that point. Number one, justification. Number two, redemption. Number three, Forgiveness, number four, adoption, and number five, reconciliation. And I like all of them. Justification, a sinner stands before God guilty and condemned, but is declared righteous. That's justification, just as if you've never sinned. 
redemption as a person stands before God as a slave to their sin and their own flesh, but now you've been set free. Forgiveness, we stand before God as debtors, but God pays the debt and relieves you of it. Adoption, you stood before God as a stranger outside of the household of God, but now you're made a daughter or son of God. And lastly, reconciliation, we stand before God as enemies, but now we've been reconciled, we're made friends with God. Now maybe there are some of you this morning, you realize this, yeah, I was really an enemy before I came to Christ. Look at my old driver's license picture, I look like an enemy of God. But you remember your old life before Christ. And you can identify with that of being an enemy of God because you were in rebellion. You were living to please yourself and God was your enemy. He was the one who always made you feel bad about your sin. So you wanted to have nothing to do with God. Perhaps you even made fun of Christians. Why? Because you thought of God as a bunch of rules and regulations, a bunch of do's and don'ts. And why would I want, you know, to say for the most part, why would I want to live that way? But I would say for the most part, that wasn't the case for most of us. You know, maybe you grew up in a godly home, godly parents, and you really didn't consider yourself an enemy of God. That was my life growing up. I never thought I was an, an enemy of God. I went to church every Sunday. Uh, you know, I had to. I thought I was being a good person, trying to do the right things. Didn't think of myself as an enemy of God. But there's one thing that Paul says here that really hits the mark. Verse 21, Paul says, You are alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. I may have not done wicked works in my flesh, but wicked works in my mind and my thoughts, yeah, you betcha. I should have thought about it. I mean, even now, if you go back and you retrace your steps, you'll find in any mess you got yourself into, you messed around first within your mind. I mean, the mind, it's a command central uh, that we contemplate, we fantasize, we consider. You can reach into, the, into, into your past through memories and you can reach into the future through imagination all in your mind. That's why the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 and 5, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So when those thoughts come in, I need to stop and think, is this something sinful? Is this something that is wrong? I'm not going to contemplate it. I'm not going to play with it. I'm not going to turn it around in my mind because it could potentially lead to a sinful action. That's why Jesus made it so clear. It's not just your actions that condemn you, but your attitudes, your thoughts. What do you think about? What is your thought life like? See, our minds reveal the wickedness of our flesh and our past shows us that we were separated by God because of our sin. There's no middle ground there. There's no in-between. I mean, and if we're honest, none of us prior to coming to Christ was in agreement with God. God's will or God's way. Amos 3.3 3 tells us, how can two walk together unless they are agreed? Jesus made it clear, you're either for me or you're against me. There's no middle ground. See, we were all about our will, my will, my way. We were not for him, we were against him. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2.12 that prior to Christ in our past, you had no hope for you were without God in the world. I mean, that's a sad, sad picture. It's a tragic picture of mankind. No hope without God in the world, without Christ, without hope, without God. It's a horrible thing to live in a hopeless state. One of the best things that the Bible does for us is it gives us hope. 
Paul says, yeah, you were without God, separated from Him, but you had no hope. That was our past. Now this brings us to point number two. Our present. There's a blessed interruption at the end of verse 22, 21 and into verse 22. Look at verse 21. We read, yet now he has reconciled, verse 22, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. God steps in at the right moment, right on time with this blessed interruption of reconciliation. You were on your way to certain judgment, but God came in, sent Jesus. And this goes back to verse 20, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Only through Jesus Christ can we have reconciliation. And we can have peace. And so what this is really saying is if you want to be reconciled to God and you want to be reconciled to others, it can only come through Jesus Christ. So many of us need reconciliation today. The troubled husband wants to be reconciled to his wife. Maybe right now as you're listening to this message, you need reconciliation in your home to your wife or to your husband. A worried mother wants to be reconciled to her child. A prodigal son wants to be reconciled to his father. Lost sinner needs to be reconciled to God. We all need reconciliation. Again, reconciliation means to bring together again. Is there someone that you need to be reconciled with today? Because let me tell you, sin is the great separator in the world. Ever since sin entered the world, it has been a dividing people throughout all human history. And again, it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden. They ate of the forbidden fruit and immediately sin began to work its work of separation, separating Adam and Eve from God, ultimately, ultimately separating their sons, Cain and Abel, from each other. You remember that story, Cain killed his brother Abel. Why? Because he was jealous. It's that separating impact of sin. I like what the late Warren Wiersbe, Pastor Warren Wiersbe says. He says, well, the Bible begins... With a record of perfect harmony, heaven and earth working together in joyful cooperation. But then sin enters into the picture and there is division, dissension, death and separation. Man is separated from God. Man runs from God and hides. And then man is separated from man with brother killing brother. There's a separation of races and nations as Genesis records the awful consequences of sin. But at the cross of Christ, Jesus took care of the sin problem. Having made peace through the blood of his cross, Jesus brought about reconciliation. Ephesians 2 verse 14 tells us that Christ is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. When I read that, I think about the famous words, remember, from, for those of you that are older, President Ronald Reagan in a speech at the Brandenburg Gate near the Berlin Wall on June 12, 1987. He said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And 29 months later, the wall was torn down. Interesting that these famous words were originally written by Peter Robinson, a presidential speechwriter. President Reagan liked them and insisted on saying them despite from opposition from some of the advisors. I mean, isn't that what we as believers, are, are, are at least for the last 2,000 years, have been called to do? To take the words of Scripture and repeat them. And as a result, the walls come down and people are reconciled to God. This is Jesus who is our peace. He's broken down the middle wall of separation. And certainly since Christ has reconciled us to God, we should be reconciled to each other. I think the problem often is that we don't want to break down those walls. And sadly, we spend most of our time reinforcing the walls instead of breaking them down. 
Well, this person offended me in that way, and, and I'm no friend of his. And we put another brick on the wall. Get a little more to put on the wall. I don't like the way this person did that. And, and, and well, they really kind of irritated me. And we get another brick on that wall, and that wall gets higher and higher and thicker and thicker. And, and you're becoming the hatfuls of the McCoys all over again. Listen, if Christ has broken down our wall of separation between us and, and God, then certainly we who name the name of Christ shouldn't be building walls between us. Shouldn't have walls that separate us as brothers and sisters in Christ. This is what the gospel is all about. Here's what it comes down to. Paul says, God has opened up a door for us to be reconciled. The question is, will you walk in it? Will you turn to God first in reconciliation? Again, he did the work for us, verse 21, having made peace through the blood of his cross. That's why I have access to God right now because of the blood of Christ. I don't have access because I've had a good week or because I've tithed like I was supposed to. No, I have access to the throne of God because of Jesus Christ. And not only do I have access to presence, access into the presence of God, but the scripture even encourages me to come boldly into his presence. Speaking of Jesus, we're told in Hebrews 4, verse 14 through 16, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. And here it is. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in time of need. Are you in need of reconciling with someone? Then come boldly to God's throne. Find that mercy and grace you need in your time of need. Now boldly doesn't mean come in demanding, God, you have to do this but confidently, knowing that God desires to work in your life through reconciliation. See, you and I can come to God right now, not because of my worthiness, not because of the good deeds I've done, not because of any of that, but because of my relationship with Him. And that relationship was purchased through His Son's blood. Let's say say this, I've had a particularly busy week, but one of my kids texts me and says, Dad, I need to talk to you for a moment. That's going to take precedence over anything else in my life. I wouldn't say, well, first you've got to call my secretary, then I'll schedule you in. No, they have complete access. Let's say one of my kids messes up. That happens every once in a while. And they say, Dad, I, I want to talk to you about something I've done recently. I say, do I say, no, you are no longer worthy to come into my presence. No, if they've been good, if they've messed up, if they've done well, if they haven't done so well, it doesn't matter. The relationship stands. You know, why can I approach God? Because I'm worthy? No. It's built upon relationship. It stands no matter what your particular state may be. Yesterday morning, and we've had a, a great weekend. We had Friday night was a couple's dinner. Saturday morning we had the, the men's prayer breakfast. Sunday we're here today. It's great. It's a church weekend. But, but uh, yesterday morning we had the prayer breakfast, and I took, for those of you that know Wakas, he's going back to Pakistan. He's going to visit his, fa- his family. So I took him to the airport, and I come home, and, and uh, my daughter Annie and her husband Cal were, were there, and little Madeline, my granddaughter, was there, and and so I saw the car there, so I pull into the, to the driveway, and I, I come through the garage door, and little Madeline's right there. And she goes, Papa, 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 Papa. Oh, man. Oh, come here, sweetheart. Come here. You know, I'm hugging her, and we're walking around the house, and she's just loving on me, and I'm loving on her. And it was just awesome. There's no way I would say, I'm sorry, you need to make an appointment. <laughs> Papa's a little busy right now. I got two other grandkids downstairs. You know, you gotta, you gotta wait in line. There's no way. Yeah, you come to Papa. Why? It's because it's my granddaughter. It's that relationship I have. 
In the same way, you can come to God and cry out, Papa, Papa. And God's going to go, I'm here, I'm here, come here. Man, with full assurance of faith, knowing He will not turn you away. No matter what you've done. We're told in Hebrews 10, 19-22, just one part of it, it says, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I mean, check this out. It's saying sometimes our consciences can condemn us. You know, Jiminy Cricket goes in a hyperdrive. He just won't let us alone. Our conscience condemns us. I can't believe you did that. You're so unworthy. You can't approach God. Our hearts condemn us. And, and, and what the Scripture is saying is that God's Spirit can cleanse me of a guilty conscience because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. In fact, we're told in 1 John 3, verse 20, For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. That means I can approach God no matter what I've done. Listen, the devil doesn't want you to know what I'm saying to you right now. The devil wants you to think that you can only approach God when you've done well. So if you walk closely to the Lord this week, you say, well, I feel I can pray. But then if you you fouled up, if you messed up, you say, oh, I don't really think I should pray. Maybe you had a disagreement with your wife or your husband and she says, honey, we should pray before we go to bed. And you go, no, I can't. I'd be a hypocrite. We just had a fight. How can we pray after we had a fight? Or I can't read my Bible. I just had an impure thought. Or how can I pray? I just lost my temper in this situation. Oh, I can't go to church. I really blew it this time. Or I can't receive communion. I'm not really getting along with my wife. Don't you see that that kind of thinking is from the devil himself? The devil wants to keep you away from God, keep you away from church, and keep you out of the Word of God because he knows that's where the power lies. He's like Biff from Back to the Future. Just a bully, you know, trying to bully in our lives, picking on us, tempting to draw us away from God. But listen, we're told in James chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. See, the devil knows what will happen when you draw near to God. He's got to flee. But he also knows God's going to draw near to you. He knows that that's where the changes take place in our lives. As we draw near to God, reconciliation happens. Listen to this. When the Spirit of God convicts you, He will use the Word of God and love to seek to bring you back into fellowship with the Father. Let me say that again. When the Spirit of God convicts you, He will use the Word of God and love to to seek to bring you back into fellowship with the Father. There's a story I read of a man that got a painting job uh, of the yellow line down the center of the highway. Now, for some reason, he had to do this by hand. And After three days, the foreman complained. He said, your first day out, you did great, he exclaimed. You painted that line for three miles. He said, your second day wasn't so bad. You painted two miles, but today you only painted one mile, so it looks as though I'm going to have to fire you. Out of the office, out of, out of his way out of the office, the employee looked back and said, well, that's not my fault. Every day I got further from the paint can. Listen, in the same way, when Satan accuses you, he's going to use your own sins in a hateful way to drive you further and further away from the fellowship with our Father. But God's Spirit, He'll, he'll make me aware of what I've done wrong, he'll, he'll, but He'll always bring me back to the cross. And when you've messed up, you've got to go back to the cross. You, you, you've done something wrong, you need to go to the cross. You've sinned here, go to the cross. You've done this wrong, go to the cross. Go to the cross, go to Christ, go to God in prayer. 
So the next time you're feeling condemned of your sin and accused of being a hypocrite by praying, say, okay, yeah, that's right, I am a hypocrite, but a blood-bought hypocrite. I can approach God right now, not because of what I've done, but because of what Christ did for me at Calvary. So get behind me, Satan. Get lost, Biff. You know Why? Because God has done this for you. How is that accomplished? Reconciliation. Only through Jesus Christ. Christ has made the way for us to come to God. It's a road that is marked by blood, but it brings us into fellowship and communion with the Father. But sadly, as Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14, broad is the gate and broad is the path that leads to destruction and many go in, but straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to eternal life and few there be that find it. So in order to be saved, in order to find that eternal life, you have to apply the blood. Apply the blood? I mean, what does that mean? That sounds gross. Do you ever think about the, the terminology that we use as Christians, what non-Christians, non-believers think about it? We probably kind of freak them out just a little bit. I, I was washed by the blood of the Lamb. Uh, oh, really? It's kind of gross. His blood cleanses me. You need to apply the blood. Is that a vampire movie or something? What does it mean to apply the blood? Well, think about this. Remember when the Israelites were still under bondage living in Egypt? How God was going to judge the firstborn of Egypt. So he told the Israelites to take a lamb, shed its blood, and take the blood and apply it on their doorposts on the top and on each side. And God said, when I see that blood, my judgment will pass over those homes where the blood is basically applied. Now, you could have been a real good Israelite back then and thought it was a good idea, had every intention on doing it, but never got around to it. If that were the case, judgment would come come into your your home. The only homes that were protected were the ones that applied the blood. In the same way, it's one thing to know that God has done this for you and say, I believe it's true, His blood was shed for me. It's not just information, there needs to be application. Accepting what Christ has done for you, then applying it in your life. If you've accepted what Christ did for you, why are you still living under the condemnation of guilt and sin? Let it go. If you've accepted Christ and what He's done for you, why do you live as though you can't approach God? You've been reconciled to God. Apply what you know. There is no other way. As the old song says, what can wash my sin away? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. O precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fountain I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. If I'm not in Christ and I'm not coming in the blood, I cannot know God. I remember a few years back, a very well-known, I'd call him a motivational speaker, but he's called a pastor. He said this, People need to find their own path to God. And who am I to say that they can't know God if they haven't come through Christ? I mean, I found my way to God through Christ, but some have found their way to Him through another path. No, you know, I'm sorry, that may sound sweet and touching and kind of all-inclusive and warm and fuzzy, but it's the furthest thing from the truth, and it certainly is not biblical. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. That's God's order. That's the way God set it up. You know, nowadays, you know, churches, they, they don't, want to mention the cross. They don't want to mention blood anymore. I heard of a well-known Christian artist that was told in one church that he was singing that not to play the song that mentions the blood of Jesus. It's too offensive. I want to tell you something. We're going to talk about the blood of Jesus in this church and the cross of Jesus every single message. There's power in the message. 
You know, in the Old Testament, it was that animal that would have to be slain for your sins. But in the New Testament, Jesus Christ fulfilled all of the Old Testament, all that the Old Testament pointed to. Jesus became the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I can only come to God through Jesus Christ. But I need to come. And when I do, well, that brings us to our final point. Number one, our path. We were separated from God because of our sin. Number two, our present. Jesus gave us life for us so we can have our sin forgiven. Constant access to our Heavenly Father. Reconciliation. That brings us to our point number three, our future. See, each one of our futures is based off of the past. If you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, accepted the work of the cross that He did for you, then you're going to have a glorious future. We read in verse 22 here that Jesus will present you holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight. Man, that's great news to me. That's like Marty McFly's parents before and after. How awful they were before, but after, man, they all had it all together. That sinful, unholy, guilty human being will be presented holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight. Why? Because of reconciliation. That word holy in verse 22 means to be set apart. It means without blemish. Or blameless means without blemish. It's amazing that God can look at us as children and, and see no blemish on us. We stand before the Lord in this perfect righteousness of Christ. Above reproach, it means free from accusation. Once we've been reconciled to God, no charges can be brought against us. It's a done deal. It's finished. Jude put it this way in Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior who alone is wide, be glory, wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. And that deserves a hearty amen. This is a glorious purpose of reconciliation. To present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. God has taken us from being hopeless and helpless and hatred of Him to a place of mercy and forgiveness and love for Him. He's brought us into this new standing. And one day He will present us to Himself, the holy, sanctified, blameless, without anything against us, above reproach completely. And that gives us hope for our future that we so desperately need. Finally, Paul says this, look at verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which is preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. The words, if indeed you continue in the faith, it's interesting. The word if is a conditional clause in the Greek grammar, which literally means, if you continue, and I know you will. See, saving faith is not just a faith that believes once and stops. It's a faith that keeps on believing over and over again. It perseveres. And these words, grounded and steadfast, speaks of our foundation. It's secure. But then Paul says, uh, uh, you know, it's secure if you, you're not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Now, does that mean if I don't continue in the faith that you lose your salvation? Is there a chance to move away from the hope of the gospel? Pastor Tom, are you saying that, that a person can lose their salvation? Is that what you believe? No. No. Listen. Listen close. I do not believe a person can lose their salvation. The Bible is full uh, of scriptures that talk about the security of the believer. God wants us to be secure in our salvation. Romans 8, we're told that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Jesus said in John 10, 28, 10, 28, And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. 
And any, uh, many other scriptures prove, prove that our salvation is secure. It's impossible to lose. And I also believe that it's impossible to fall away. As we read earlier in Jude, Jesus is able to keep you from stumbling. We're not going to accidentally slip out of his care. We're not going to fall through the cracks. Now, having said that, listen close. I do believe that the Bible makes it clear that it's possible for people to leave their salvation. You can't lose it, but you can leave it. You can't fall away, but you can walk away. 1 Timothy 4.1, Paul makes a statement about the days in which we live. He says, in the last days, some will depart from the faith. Hebrews 10.26 and 27 were given this warning. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. Hebrews 10.26 and 27. Now, this is what we need to understand about the book of Hebrews. Hebrews was written to Jewish believers who, because of persecution, were considering leaving Christ and going back to Judaism to sin willfully. Were they saved? Well, listen to Hebrews 3, verse 1. It tells us, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. I don't think you get any more saved than that. And yet to those same people... The writer of Hebrews says, if you sin willfully, if you deny Christ, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Really, the issue is this. We need to understand the essence of salvation. When we talk about salvation, we often think of it in only terms of not going to hell and we're going to heaven. But the biblical view of salvation is so much broader than that. And it's seen clearly in this idea of reconciliation. Once we were alienated from God, now we are close. Once we were enemies, now we are friends. The very essence of salvation hovers around relationship. Remember verse 13 says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. We are brought out of this world for the purpose of being brought into God's kingdom. Brought out of Satan's domain to be brought into his family. God's plan all along is that closeness and that relationship. It's the way he has always viewed salvation. In fact, Jesus' high priestly prayer in John chapter 17 verse 3 says, And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It's knowing God. It's having that relationship with him. Jesus said this in John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I am known by my own. And then he describes what that life is like in John 10, 27 and 28. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Relationship between the sheep and the shepherd. They know his voice. They follow. So the person who's been brought out of darkness who decides... I'm not going to follow you anymore. I want to go back into darkness. Is there any security? Are they still reconciled? No, because they purposely made themselves alienated from God once again. John says in 1 John 1, 6, If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. I don't want to ever give that person a false sense of security just because they prayed a prayer 2, 5, 10, 15 years ago, maybe when they were a kid. And they're just living however they want to live. 
The essence of salvation is living in a relationship with God that culminates in heaven. Our future in heaven is for eternity with our relationship with God. It's all about reconciliation. Finally, I want to close with this. On April 15, 1912, the White Star Ocean Line of the Titanic raised her stern high above the frigid waters of the North Atlantic and began a very fluid but violent descent which would end on the ocean floor. We have some amazing first-hand accounts of this event. From the eyewitness accounts, you see the extremes of human behavior from abysmal cowardice to beautiful sacrificial love. But with the Titanic gone and the lifeboat spread upon the icy waters among the crying, drowning swimmers, the story turns to pure cowardice and heartless self-centeredness. See, there were 18 lifeboats that were only two-thirds full that could have gone back to rescue some of the 1,600 people who could not get into the lifeboats. Out of the 1,600 people, only 705 were saved. In boat number five, when third officer Pittman heard the anguished cries, he turned the boat around and shouted, uh, now pull towards the wreck. But the passengers protested, why should we lose our lives in a useless attempt to save others from the ship? Pittman gave in for the next hour the 40 people in that boat that could have held 65 listened to the cries of dying people, some no more than 200 yards away. In boat number two, fourth officer Boxhall asked the ladies in his boat if they wanted to go back and rescue others. They resisted and demanded that they not go back. He gave in. They sat and listened while people froze to death and drowned all around them. In the number six boat, it was different. There, the ladies wanted to go back and search for their loved ones, but Quartermaster Hitchens refused, painting a vivid picture of what would happen if a mob of drowning people could get their their boat. So they sat and listened to the anguished cries of dying men and women and children. Out of the 18 boats, only one, the number 14 boat, returned to help and was an hour, uh, that was an hour after the Titanic had already sank. The skipper said that they went back after the thrashing crowd had thinned out a bit. Such a sad story because what you had, there were people who had the means to rescue. The capacity to rescue, but they didn't have the heart to rescue. How different that is from God. God knows this about the human race. We need to be rescued. Our ship has gone down. We've been thrust into the icy waters of life for a brief moment. We are, we are primed for rescue. But God, but like a vapor, that opportunity will be gone. So God doesn't waste any time. He's on it. He's there with the salvation that we need. Send His Son into the world to rescue those that are drowning in sin and des- desperation. You see, the false teachers in Colossae were attempting to get the Colossians, the Christians there, to move away from Christ. To, 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 to move away from the lifeboat. That's why Paul told them in verse 23, don't be moved away. Don't be pulled away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which is preached to every creature in heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Listen, we are grounded in the hope of the gospel. We are steadfast in the hope of the gospel, the gospel that's preached everywhere. Salvation has come. We've been rescued. Jesus took your place upon the cross, died for our sins so we can be reconciled back to God. That's what Jesus has done for us. And Peter said this, there is no salvation in any other because there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. Listen, we're not able to come to God because we seek to follow Jesus' example alone. Because nobody can really do that. If anything, you take an honest look at Jesus' life and it will only show you how far you've fallen short. We're not given access to God because we try to follow the teachings of Jesus. As wonderful and profound as they were, God's word to us is not just following His teachings that does it. Because if you honestly look at His teaching, it will make you aware of your own sinful condition. 
I mean, Jesus said, uh, among other things, I was to be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. He tells me that God looks at my heart as well as my actions. So, his teaching drives me to him where I say, Lord, I can't do this on my own. So, it's not just his teaching, it's not just his example. We are given access to God again because Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood for me, and I'm sorry for my sin. And I put my complete trust in him, and it's only through his bloodshed for me that I can approach God. You are unable to save yourself. Jesus pulled you up, put you in that lifeboat. And here's a great truth. Now you have open access to him. You're both in the boat together. He's in the boat with you. Listen, maybe you've come here this morning and there are things that you've done that you're ashamed of and maybe there are things in your life right now and you're saying, I'm unworthy. I don't even know why I came to church. I feel so bad about what I've done. Listen, it's okay to feel bad. But now you need to know what to do. You need to go to the foot of the cross. You need to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I've sinned, but I thank you that your blood was shed for me. I thank you that I have a relationship with you not based on what I've done, but only because of what you've done. Lord, you've told me to come boldly into your presence where I can, where I can find help and forgiveness. And I want to do that today. I want to be cleansed of my sin. And God will forgive you and cleanse you of all your sin. Is there someone you need to be reconciled with today? Someone you're divided from. Maybe it's been quite a few years. Perhaps you can make that step of reconciliation this very afternoon. And listen, this is important. If someone is seeking to have reconciliation with you, don't turn them away. Don't turn them away. Remember the words of Jesus in Matthew 6.15, but if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. One more thing as we close. Have you sought to bring others into reconciliation with God? See, Jesus Christ died to make reconciliation possible, but you and I live to make reconciliation personal. God has given each one of us a ministry of reconciliation. We are His ambassadors that through our words and deeds that we should seek to bring others into harmony with God. Have you done that lately, seeking to call men and women into reconciliation with God? May we take those steps today to be used by God to bring glory to His name. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this time this morning, Lord. And I do pray, we do pray, Lord, if there's anyone here or anyone listening to this study online that has yet to be reconciled with you, God, first and foremost. They're not born again. They're still dying in their sin. Lord, we pray that they would see their need for you. They would, they would turn to you, believe in the finished work of the cross, believe what you did, Jesus, for them upon the cross, and be born again today. We pray, Lord, that their eyes would be open. And Lord, maybe there's some reconciliation that needs to take place in our lives and some relationships that we have. Lord, we want to come before your throne boldly, knowing that that's your will. It's your will for us to be reconciled one with another. Lord, especially brothers and sisters in Christ, there should be no reason there's not reconciliation. Lord, I know that those in the world, it's difficult, Lord, and, and we're told in your word with as much as within us to live at peace with all men. And there are times where it can't take place, Lord. But you've called us to be ministers of reconciliation. Helping people get reconciled to you, God. Fill us with your spirit and empower us to do that which you've called us to do. Thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.